Hey SunWest uh, family, uh, welcome to my living room, uh, welcome to my kitchen. As you can see, we are not meeting uh, live in our church building uh, today, uh, but we are meeting virtually uh, via technology. And uh, I'm sure all of us are uh, taking a deep breath and trying to figure out uh, our new normal. And uh, many of you uh, woke up uh, this week and became stay-at-home parents, uh, teachers, you maybe lost your job, you're maybe uh, unemployed currently, and uh, your new reality is what many of our new realities are. And the thing to remember in all of this is that uh, there is hope, there still is hope, and we want to bring hope and speak hope, uh, not just to you, not just into ourselves, but into our communities and into our neighborhoods. Um, and so part of what we're doing here at SunWest Church is creating some online experience uh, for you to stay connected. Uh, the government's telling us to social distance and to isolate, um, but more than ever in this season of time, we need to be connected. We need to stay connected. And we're trying to offer you a few options in that. So I got a, just a couple of announcements for you before we tune in uh, to this week's message. And uh, Pastor Matt has a word ready for us, and he's going to come in just a moment. Uh, but we wanted to make you aware of a couple things, and that is if you go to our website, if you follow us on social media, you'll see that we're trying to implement and create some online content for you as parents, uh, as adults, as kids, as teens. And so if you go to sunwestchurch.com slash church at home, you will find everything that we've created there uh, for online engagement over the coming weeks until uh, our new reality becomes not our new reality anymore. And so we wanted to take uh, some time to put content on there for you as you're at home, uh, for your kids uh, and for youth. So on Tuesdays at 10 a.m., we're going to post fresh content every week. Pastor Kendall and her team has been working hard uh, to create content to have there available for you and your families as well. Pastor Colton and his team have been working. And so 7 p.m. on Wednesday nights for both junior high and senior high. We also will be posting uh, content on our website, www.sunwestchurch.com. I would encourage you to uh, stay connected with us on all of our social media channels, uh, especially for youth and for kids. We're going to be posting a lot of content there, but for adults as well. Uh, we want to take this time to be able to, to connect with you uh, and to encourage you and to speak life and to speak hope into you, but also give you an opportunity to share that uh, along with your neighbors and friends and your communities uh, because they need it as well. And so we're looking at, at, at a few more options. Uh, I know Pastor Matt has talked in an update about uh, what greater opportunity to do uh, our hearing, uh, hearing God's voice curriculum and walking through that as a community and uh, maybe offering our starting point uh, courses, uh, focusing on our four core here at SunWest, know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference. And so we're exploring all these options currently and what that might look like. Uh, hopefully getting some groups online where you can connect via FaceTime or you can uh, do a Zoom group. Uh, and we'll put all kinds of information like that on the website uh, for you in the weeks to come. But we just wanted to take a moment and let you know that we are trying to do something. And the most important thing that we can do is stay connected in this season. And so as you are with your families, as you are with your friends and you are connecting, uh, continue to connect, continue to speak hope, continue to speak life. And uh, God is still on the throne. And we believe that. 
and we're excited to be together this morning in a little bit of a different format. Uh, but I know that Pastor Matt has prepared a great word and you're going to enjoy it this morning. And so we're going to go and tune into him sharing that as you sit where you are in your living room, in your home, in your car maybe. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this word, that it speaks life to you, that it speaks hope to you, and uh, that you have a fantastic day. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week. Hey, Sun West. Uh, welcome to Church at Home, Church Online. Uh, we're obviously in unprecedented times here and figuring out what does it mean for us to continue to journey as a church together and follow Jesus together. And we thank you for your patience as we figure this all out. And uh, we, we believe that God's going to teach us a new thing as a, as a community as we do this. Um, in light of what's happening in, uh, with regards to COVID-19 and the pandemic that's going on, uh, I just want to encourage us with a word of scripture from Romans chapter 8. Uh, starting in verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, and I think we can add, or epidemic? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we also know that in Psalm 139, uh, David prays, where can I go from your spirit? When I go up to the heavens, you're there. When I go down into the depths, you are there. And so we're encouraged in this time that we love and follow a God that is everywhere, that he's present everywhere. And so no matter where you are, uh, in your self-isolation, as you kind of confine yourselves in this time, please know that God is with you, that God is with us. And I, I pray that as, as individuals and as a community, we would experience God's presence in a powerful new way uh, in light of everything that is going on. So with that said, we're going to jump into a sermon series that we started a few weeks back. We're going to continue that for the next couple of months, and we're going through the book of Mark. And uh, you can catch up if you missed a previous sermon. You can go online. You can catch up on the past sermons. I would encourage you, if you have your journals, to keep, to keep using them. Uh, you can order them online still if you, if you don't have one. If you go to Amazon, uh, you can order the Gospel according to Mark Scripture Journal. Uh, and you can, you can have one delivered to your house. And this is just a way to follow along, write notes, uh, and, and journal as we move forward together. Obviously, we're also not doing online worship. Uh, or singing worship songs together. Uh, that decision we kind of made because we feel like there's lots of great worship resources out there, and so we would encourage you uh, to take advantage of different resources out there. As a church, we're going to post a Spotify playlist each week that uh, we can listen to together and, and be worshiping God with uh, the same themes and, and songs and music during the week. And so if that's a way that you connect with God, we encourage you to do that. If there's other ways, uh, do that too. Uh, but we just would invite you to use this time uh, to be with Jesus, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later as well. Uh, lastly, we're going to have going deeper questions, and these questions, they're, they're going to be a couple of slides in each sermon that we're going to pose some questions for you to reflect and pray about. And if you're able to pause the video, it might be a good moment right as you're watching it to pause, uh, to pray, to reflect on those questions, to journal on those questions. Uh, if you're watching this with your family or a small group, uh, maybe you want to use those questions as a form to have group discussion. Uh, and, or you can go back and 
ask them later after you watch the video. So we just encourage you to utilize those questions in whatever way it makes sense in the context uh, that you're following along. So jumping back into Mark, we're picking up in chapter 3. Before we jump into the text, let me just remind us of some themes that are happening uh, in, the, in the book of Mark. Mark wants us to understand who is Jesus. He's trying to help us picture who Jesus is and understand Jesus in a proper way. He's trying to under, help us to see the way of the cross, that, that Jesus didn't come in the way that people expected him, but he went to the cross. He was a suffering Messiah. He wants us to understand the context of what that means for discipleship. And discipleship we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which basically means to follow Jesus, to mimic Jesus, to become like him. Discernment. Starting next week, you're going to see this theme start to rise up, that, that Mark is challenging us to have eyes to see, to have ears to hear uh, what God is saying, to have eyes to see what God is doing. Can we perceive God's presence among us and what he's doing? And with that, we need to see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is actually breaking into the kingdom of this world. Uh, are we going to be participants in that kingdom? And, uh, and that might mean that we have to start breaking through barriers and barriers that go beyond religion, go beyond uh, purity traditions uh, or religious traditions that go beyond ethnicity. And we'll see that God breaks barrier after barrier after barrier in the person of Jesus to bring the good news of the kingdom uh, to every corner. And so with that said, let's dive right into Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. We ended in verse 6 uh, last time. A little bit of an outline of, of where we're going in Mark. Uh, starting in verse 7, a great crowd followed Jesus, the 12 apostles in verse 13. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then there's a conversation between Jesus' mother and, and brothers and, uh, and those who are gathered around him at the end of the chapter. I've titled the sermon, Unboxing Jesus. And the reason I've talked about that is because I think sometimes you put Jesus in a box. And I don't know if you've ever met somebody that just has a knack for picking the right size of box or container for whatever they're trying to put something in. Uh, you know, So they, they're able to look at it you know, an item and then say, I think that's going to fit in this box. I'm terrible at that. You know, my wife, Lisa, you know, anytime we're doing leftovers, you know, I'll grab a container and think that it's, you know, the spaghetti is going to fit in that box. And she's going to be like, she'll say, no, it's not going to fit in the box. I say, yes, it is. And then I go and try and put the lid on, you know, spaghetti splashes everywhere. And I just am unable to actually figure out what size of box I need for whatever I'm trying to put it in. I think we have certain boxes that we try and put Jesus in. And over and over and over again, we find that Jesus does not fit in the boxes that we put him in. When we read, when we read through Mark, the disciples, the Pharisees, you know, religious leaders, uh, you know, the non-Jews that are in the story, they all had different ideas, different boxes they put Jesus in. Jesus blew those boxes up over and over again. And so our boxes, I think, are made up of you know, education, you know, how we've been trained to think. They're made up of our experiences, positive uh, negative experiences, crisis points that we've had in our lives. You know, they'll start to construct the types of boxes that we want Jesus to, to get into. Our culture, the values of our culture, the beliefs of our culture, the systems that we're a part of, our, uh, the religion that we might have come from. You know, even the church, even if you came from a Christian background, you know, certain Christian traditions, that has framed the type of box that you might have. And you will find as you follow Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, that he is going to blow up your box over and over and over again. And in some ways, we can't help but have boxes. That's just what it means to be human. Uh, but we do have to be willing to rethink, to unbox Jesus, so to speak, and rethink of, about him in a new kind of way. So, Mark chapter 3, we read 
Uh, we're going to read the text here together, and then I'm going to slow down as we, go, as we go through it. Jesus withdrew from his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jer- Jerusalem and Udamea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him, those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, son of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. Beelzebul. Or something. (laughs) And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mothers, here are my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my mother, is, is my brother and sister and mother. So that's Mark 3, 7 to 35. And like I said, this morning we're going to walk through this passage. There's so much content uh, in here. And obviously as we go through Mark, we can't stop for very long at, at every piece, but we do want to focus in on some major pieces. And so we see that Jesus withdrew. And this is Jesus' practice. You'll notice again and again, as his popularity is increasing, as his iCal is filling up, as his schedule is getting busier and busier. What's fascinating to note is that Jesus does not compensate for a busy schedule by pushing away time with God the Father. Jesus does not squish or push that part out of his life when his life is getting squished. And if Jesus, who is the Son of the Father, needs to separate time in his life, in his busy life, to be with the Father. I think that's a huge pointer to us that we need to carve out space, no matter what's going on in our life, no matter how busy things are getting, no matter what our iCal looks like, 
Uh, are we actually spending time with God? And so Jesus' popularity is growing here. Uh, you know, he withdrew his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed him. He couldn't even get away. Even when he was trying to separate, even when he was trying to, you know, find space for him and God, people were following him, people were gathering around him. And we see that these places that are mentioned, I want to give you a bit of a visual here. Because this is quite fascinating. If you look at this uh, yellow circle, this is the, the lake that the early scenes of the Gospel of Mark that we've been reading are happening around. But we'll notice that, you know, there's a group from Galilee, this area that's gathered around Jesus. There's a, there's a group from Judea, which is this circle down here, that have come all the way up to follow Jesus. They mention Jerusalem, the city, which is here in Judea. They, they mention Idumea, which is down here under Judea. They, uh, the text says that those who are uh, beyond the Jordan, on the other side of the Jordan, over here, are coming to Jesus. And those from Tyre and Sidon, which is up here, are coming to Jesus. And what's fascinating to note is that it's not just Jews coming to Jesus. There's, there's territories in here, specifically those up here, those here beyond the Jordan, here down in Idumea. Idumea was, uh, if you remember the Old Testament story about Jacob and Esau, Idumea is the descendants of Esau. Uh, and so traditionally enemies against uh, the Israelite people. And so we see these people coming to follow Jesus. We see people that uh, aren't a part of the Jewish population from beyond the Jordan, and those who are part of this Gentile population up here, beyond, uh, north of where Jesus was, they're all coming to follow Jesus. Jews, non-Jews, people from different economic uh, places and statuses, former enemies of Jews coming to follow Jesus. This is something that is observable when the kingdom of God breaks into this world, is that people that were formerly enemies begin to be partners and friends because we're following Jesus together. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. And so, as we noted in the first few chapters, part of Jesus' normal routine was to go into an area, he would preach in the synagogues, and he was first preaching to his Jewish counterparts. But when, they, when Jesus wouldn't fit in the box that they put him in, Everybody had an expectation of what the Messiah was going to be like, and Jesus didn't fit into the box. And as he didn't fit their expectations, they started to scapegoat him. They started to make an enemy of him. And we see a switch that happens here as we continue the story that Jesus stops going to the synagogues. He starts, stops going to his own people, that some of the Jews have chosen to follow him, but some of, some of them have chosen to reject him. And now... One of the primary contexts of his teaching is a boat. And we'll see multiple times that Jesus uses the boat in various ways. And just a reminder, to go back to a couple of sermons ago when we talked about how the disciples, James and John and Andrew and, and, and Simon, they gave up their careers to follow Jesus. And it doesn't mean that they sold their boats or left their boats. It just means that Jesus used their boats. And so here's an example of property that belonged to some of Jesus' disciples that, that, that those disciples actually let Jesus have ownership of and Jesus uses the boat for his ministry purposes. And so no matter your vocation, no matter what profession you have, no matter what your normal day-to-day -day life looks like, it, it makes us actually pause and think about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and for Jesus to own my calendar, for Jesus to own my workplace, for this to be an avenue, whatever I'm doing, to let the kingdom of God break in. 
And the boat is just a very simple, practical illustration of how that happened for the disciples. And so all these people that were diseased, that needed help, were crowding around him, trying to touch him. The unclean, when the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And so in the beginning of Mark, Mark wanted us to know who Jesus was, and he gave us three titles for Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, which came to be known as, uh, came to be understood as a king, that Jesus was the Son of God, that he had some kind of special connection with God himself, and that Jesus was the Lord himself. Not only did Jesus have a certain connection with God, that Jesus was God with flesh on. The Son of Man also was used as a title to refer to Caesar. And this is part of the reason why Jesus ordered them not to make him known. I think Jesus knew that once word got out that he was the king, that he was the son of God, that this was going to push up against Roman authorities. And from that point on, it was going to be a pretty quick road to, to going to the cross. And Jesus was not yet ready for that. And in fact, the title of Messiah, the title of son of God, was incomplete without the context of the cross. And this is part of what Mark wants us to see. The irony of the whole gospel is that it's the cross that Jesus went to. That It was through that that Jesus actually brought victory. It was through that that the expectations of the Jewish people in the world are actually fulfilled through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so he doesn't want them to have any ideas about who he is without the context of that suffering, without the context of the cross, without the way that he was actually going to accomplish that victory. Continuing in verse 13, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And here we see one of the best descriptions of what it means to be a disciple in the gospel of Mark, that they might be with him, and that they might be sent out. And the word apostles, which is used here to describe these disciples, the word apostles actually just means sent out ones. That every disciple is apostle in some way. That every disciple has been called to be with Jesus and to be sent out by Jesus. We can think about this in this way. That being a disciple involves being and doing. Being and doing. And when we think of the first call that Jesus gave to, uh, to Simon and Andrew and to James and John and to Levi, he said to come follow me. What is he saying? He's saying, come, be with me, be with me, and then follow me, do the things that I'm doing, being and doing. And I think this is the spectrum of discipleship. And many of us often tilt one way or, the no one way or another. Some of you have an easier time being, you know, worshiping God, you know, being with Jesus, communing with him. Some of you are more action-oriented and you just want to do, 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 do. And I think it's important to know that discipleship, first and foremost, is a call to relationship, not a call to a task. The first call is to be with God. In fact, you can't be a disciple without being with Him. And, and I think we, we often forget that. We're just going to go do the works of God. We're going to do, 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 do. But God is actually calling us to Himself. Jesus is calling us to Himself. But either way, I think we find ourselves in an interesting ditch. On the one side, if you... Uh, just focus on being with Jesus, I think we start, to, um, we start to entertain what I might refer to as spiritual consumerism. 
or for focus just being with God, it actually becomes less about God and more about us. It becomes about a certain experience that we're pursuing because it's, it's actually not equaling the transformation in our lives and in the lives of others that we're hoping for. But on the other side, the ditch is that if we're so busy doing, we actually become uh, religious Pharisees. We've talked about the Pharisees. We, we, start to, we start to participate in a religion and not a relationship. And so the first going deeper question I'd, I'd love for you to explore either now or, or after, is which side of the discipleship spectrum do you find easier for you? Do you find it easier to be? That's just kind of your default. You know, you love being with God. You love you know, spending time in prayer. You love worshiping. You love scripture and doing devotions. But maybe it's a little bit more of a struggle to do. Or maybe you have an easier time doing. You're action-oriented. You know, you try and spend time in prayer, but, you know, it lasts a few seconds, and then you just want to get on, and you, you want to do something. Which is easier for you? And then, when you have neglected one without the other, what have you observed in your life? And what about when you've observed the, that, the opposite with somebody else? When somebody has uh, neglected the opposite of you without the other, maybe they're a doer and you're a beer. You know, what has been the effect? What have you observed? What's the positive? What's the negatives of that? And what are some practical ways that you can be and do in a time like this? You know, this is a unique time. You know, wherever you are in self-isolation in your house and uh, in your room, uh, with your family, what does it mean for you to be with God in a new, profound kind of way that maybe you haven't been afforded that opportunity at other times in your life? Maybe you've been so busy with your jobs that you haven't had time to be with God, and this is an opportunity to actually scale back, to withdraw. What would it look like for you in this time to worship more intentionally, to spend God, to spend time with God, uh, to, to journal? Maybe you, you've never practiced journaling before. I would encourage you to, to practice journaling in this season. Pr you know, writing out your prayers, listening to God's voice. You know, we're going to be launching uh, during this time our Hearing God class as well. Maybe this is a great time for you to participate in that class and learn to hear the voice of God so that you can practice being with God, speaking to God, hearing God's voice. What does it mean in this time to be a doer? Not just to be with God, but to do something. It's... You know, it's hard to know what to do uh, when we're housebound. You know, so maybe doing might mean texting a friend more intentionally, you know, making a list of the people in your life, following up with people. Maybe it means picking up the phone, phoning somebody, and just checking in. How are you doing? You know, I, I was looking at the, the news and reading reports over the last couple of days of the, ex the expectation that anxiety, depression, and even suicide is going to ramp up in a time like this when people are isolated. God created us for community. And so I think part of the action of being a disciple of Jesus is to make sure that even though we're separate and doing life alone physically, doesn't mean we have to do life alone relationally. Pick up the phone. Encourage somebody. The other thing that I also heard on the news uh, and that I was, I was reading uh, wasn't just the, the ramp up of anxiety and and stress and suicide and some of those pieces, um, but also the increase in um, domestic violence. And so we know that not uh, everybody handles stress in the same kind of way. And we can help alleviate stress for one another. We can help encourage one another in a time like this uh, to make sure that you know there isn't blow-ups happening in the home. They're, they have somebody, we have people that we can vent with and uh, lean on and talk with and process with. It's so important in this time. 
So in this time, let's be and let's do both together. And then can we do that intentionally as a church? Verse 16, he appointed the twelve, Simon, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. And what's amazing to note is that this word here, he appointed the twelve. The word in the Greek is not appointed as much as it means made. He formed the twelve. He made the twelve. Which is again is a reminder that, that God actually forms us, that God makes us. And, and the reason that he chose the number twelve is, is not just because twelve is a you know, a manageable number to have a group of disciples, but 12 is representative and 12 is symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and in many ways, what Mark is saying here is that God is doing a new thing, that God's creating a new way of being, a new type of kingdom community. That in the past, God blessed Israel to be a blessing to the world, and that is what he is going to do with his disciples, that he's going to bless them, that he's going to make them, he's going to form them, not for their sake alone, but for the sake of the world around them. What what a great encouragement for us as disciples in this time that God is actually shaping us and making us and using you know, the highs and the lows of our life when we submit those things to him to make us more like him so that we can actually be his voice, his presence, his hands, his feet in a very tangible, practical, life-transforming way in the world around us. What's also interesting to know is that you know, a few of these names are Jewish names, a few of these names are Gentile names, a few of these... Uh, few of the, the jobs that these guys has were, were more economically uh, profitable, uh, and some were poor. And we see this kind of range of people that begin to follow Jesus, like I mentioned before. And they weren't typically people that might relate together or hang out together or do life together, but that's what happens when the kingdom of God actually transforms our hearts. The people that we normally didn't associate with, maybe we avoided, or maybe even as far as they were, we considered them enemies, are now our friends, are now our brothers, are now our sisters. And so the community of Jesus actually looks very different than the communities in this world. When you look at the end of the book of Revelation, we see that every tribe, tongue, and nation is a part of God's people. And we get to be a foretaste of that even now as God's kingdom inbreaks, or breaks in uh, on the earth today. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. And it's, it's fascinating. If, if you've read any C.S. Lewis, you've probably come across this idea that he proposed uh, a long time ago. That some people want to put Jesus in the box of being a good moral teacher. Like there's things that Jesus taught and did that are, are helpful for us and we can learn from. But C.S. Lewis notes, and I think it's true, and as you read through the Gospels, you'll, you'll see that this is true, that the option of Jesus being a good moral teacher is not available to you uh, because some of the things he says are quite psychotic, actually. And C.S. Lewis' suggestion, and I think it's one worth pondering, is Jesus, the options that Jesus gives you and the options that Jesus gave them at this time, and the reason why people were fighting over who is this guy is because he was either a liar, he wasn't telling the truth about who he was, that he was trying to manipulate them for some you know, ulterior motive, or he was a lunatic, he was crazy, he's out of his mind, and this is what Jesus' own family actually thought of him, this is the box they were putting him in, that, that Jesus is crazy, he's a lunatic, or Jesus is what he said he was, and he's Lord. 
a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. And no matter what box you have Jesus in, I think that's a question that every single one of us needs to answer. Do we actually believe what Jesus said? Do we think that he is lying about these things? Do we think there's some kind of ulterior motive that, that he had? Or maybe he's just crazy. But I would, I would ask you to consider, if would a crazy person live the type of life that Jesus lived? Would a crazy person actually bring about a type, the type of following from different classes and ethnicities and economic groups? Like, would a crazy person actually attract that? Would a crazy person, after they were gone from this world, you know, create a movement like we have that is worldwide, the Christian church? Could it be that Jesus is actually Lord? Could it be that Jesus was actually telling the truth, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, that he is God himself with flesh on. Because if that's true, then it changes everything. But at this point in the story, Jesus' own family, the ones that watched him grow up, thought he was crazy. What happened to him? He's out of his mind. And we'll see as the story goes on, it doesn't stay that way, but it is that way right now. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan if a kingdom is divided against itself? The kingdom cannot stand. And that word is not only hard to say, feelsable, it's actually hard to translate as well. But uh, technically, or in essence, what it's saying is that Jesus is the top of the evil uh, ladder. That Jesus is, like it says, the prince of demons. That de- Jesus is like Satan himself. And this is obviously a huge accusation against Jesus. And his response, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. A house can't stand if it's divided. Jesus is saying here that if Satan were attacking Satan, then how is Satan powerful at all? And what's interesting is Jesus agrees with them. Jesus agrees that Satan's house, Satan's kingdom is actually coming to an end, that it's falling apart, but not for the reasons that they think it is. It's not because Jesus is evil. It's because Jesus is more powerful than than what is evil, that the kingdom of God is more powerful than the kingdom of Satan. Jesus is the stronger man. That Yes, Satan is a strong man. Satan has, uh, he is powerful in and of himself, but he is not more powerful than God. He is not more powerful than Jesus. And Jesus has showed up as the stronger man to plunder Satan's house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And this used to freak me out as a kid. I used to wonder, you know, what is this unforgivable sin? Have I committed it? You know, I remember like, you know, hitting puberty and having lustful thoughts and thinking, you know, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Can God ever forgive me? And what it's, what's, we need to remind ourselves that all sins will be forgiven. Whatever blasphemies they utter will be forgiven. Accept the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And, and what is that? What is that unforgivable sin? And, and the text is actually pretty clear. It's right here that he has an unclean spirit. The unforgivable sin is attributing to God 
What is Satan's? The unforgivable sin is standing in judgment over God and making him to be evil when he is the source of all that is good and beautiful. The unforgivable sin is actually closing our hearts to God and being God ourselves and standing in judgment over him. God is not Satan. God is opposed to Satan. But God's kingdom is in opposition to Satan. And so, if you have ever wondered, you know, am I committing the unforgivable sin? That's a for sure sign that you haven't because you're actually concerned about living a life that honors God. Uh, let God be God. And, that, and then, so this comes back to our theme of unboxing Jesus. We have to let God be God and recognize our role in this is actually to know him, to love him, to worship him, to follow him. And if we live in that posture, this is not something we need to be afraid of. We don't need to be afraid of committing the sin, and we don't need to be afraid of Satan himself because we serve and follow the stronger one. But Jesus has come to plunder Satan's house. And what does that even mean? And we, we, we talk a lot at SunWest about this idea of shalom. And if you and I won't spend a lot of time on it here, but if you go back to the beginning of the creation story, we see that God that God created this world that was living in perfect harmony. Humans were living in harmony with God. Humans were living in harmony with each other, in harmony with themselves. They were secure in their identity. They were comfortable in their nakedness, is what it says in Genesis. Uh, and they were living at peace with the world around them. And when Satan came, he actually disrupted shalom in all four of those directions. That there was a broken relationship between God and man and man and man. And, and the identity and our understanding of self was, was broken. Our, our relationship with the world was fractured. And so I believe that when, G when Jesus comes and Jesus as the stronger man invades the house of Satan is taking out, is plundering Satan's house and stealing everything in there. What is he stealing? He is actually bringing back full life. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life in all of its fullness. This Zoe life, this full and satisfying life. This life that is shalom, uh, is harmony in all four directions, the way that we were created. And Jesus is plundering the house of Satan. He's saying, you can have that life right now, right here, right now. That the kingdom of God is breaking into the kingdom of this world. Not even just the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of Satan. And Jesus is taking out everything that Satan has stolen. Jesus is redeeming everything that Satan has ruined. Jesus is resurrecting everything that has actually died. This is what it means for the stronger man to enter Satan's house and to plunder his house. And so Jesus is saying this. And it says, his mothers and his brothers came, standing on, out, on the outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And this is important for us to see in the book of Mark, you'll see these descriptors of different groups start to form, that there's those that are around Jesus, those that are with him, those that, you know, as he's sitting there teaching, are there with him. There's the crowds who are trying to figure out if they're with him. The crowds are this, this curious group of people that are just, you know, they're listening to what he's saying. They're not sure about what he's saying. They're kind of leaning in. They're not sure if they should lean in or lean out. And then we have those that are uh, outside of Jesus. They are standing in opposition to Jesus. We think of someone like Judas Iscariot, which was mentioned in the, the group of the disciples, that Judas was... Uh, the, he would eventually betray Jesus. He was somebody that was with Jesus, but ended up being on the outside, being opposed to Jesus by the end of the story. Around, those around him, those crowds that are curious about him, and then those that are outside of him. 
And what's interesting to note is that many of those who were with him, particularly the crowd that was kind of unsure about him, left him as Jesus went to the cross. When suffering came, those who thought Jesus was cool, was awesome, did some cool things, you know, had the potential to change my life, and then they saw him go to the cross, and they witnessed the suffering, and they witnessed what was happening, and they said, I'm out. I'm not going to follow him. And I think many of us, we're fascinated by Jesus. We love his teaching. We, we love the idea of him transforming our lives and the world around us. And then we hit times like maybe we're hitting right now, and we see suffering, and we, we wonder, you know, is God in control? Is, is God still worth following? Should I do things my own way? And we see that many people in the Gospels actually chose to leave Jesus at the time when he started moving towards the cross. And there were very few around him. There were very few with him at the time of the crucifixion. So going deeper, the second question I would love for you to ponder, if you were to place yourself in one of these groups, which one is it? Do you, do you think of yourself as someone who is with Jesus, that you are sitting at his feet, that you're listening to his teaching, that you're being with him and that you're doing like a disciple? Are you someone who is actually in that crowd group that you're kind of leaning in, you're, 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 you're questioning, you, you like kind of what you hear, but you're, you're on the fence? Uh, you like the idea of your life being changed, your life being better, but you're not sure uh, if you're in for following him and whatever that might mean. Or maybe you're someone who's on the outside that you're actually uh, adamantly opposed to Jesus, that you're offended by him. I think all of us could probably put ourselves in one of those three places. Are you around him? Are you in the crowd? Are you outside? I would encourage you to spend some time, reflect and pray and ask that question. That, that God would show you where you are. Uh, in, in relationship uh, to him. And the crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And we know they weren't seeking him because it said earlier that they were trying to seize him. They wanted Jesus to get in the box. Get in the box that we put you in. They were seeking him to control him. And the, your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And, and he answered them, who are my mothers? Who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, here we see that idea of doing again. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. He is my brother, sister, and mother. Jesus is redefining what it means to be family. Jesus isn't saying that, that these people in his family don't matter. He's just saying that his kingdom family are his true family. That the family of God goes beyond blood. The family of God goes beyond ethnicity. The family of God goes beyond economic status. The family of God goes beyond those who I prefer and those I don't, those I like and those I don't. The family of God transcends all of those lines. And his own family doesn't quite get this yet because they have a certain expectation or box they want Jesus to fit into and he's just not doing it. It kind of reminds me of the classic film, Talladega Nights. I'm not sure if you've seen it. You could YouTube, uh, you know, Ricky Bobby Prayer and you'll, you'll get it. Uh, you know, Will Ferrell in that movie, he says this prayer and he prays to, you know, little baby Jesus. Uh, you know, he, he, dear Lord, baby Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest, he says, for this KFC, for, for all this food. And, and his wife interrupts and she says, honey, you know, Jesus did grow up. Jesus didn't stay a baby. And he says, sir, you can pray to whoever you want to pray to. I prefer the Christmas Jesus. I prefer the baby Jesus. And I, I wonder if sometimes we actually don't want Jesus to grow up. We don't want Jesus to grow out of our boxes. That we are actually like Jesus' own family, 
We're trying to get him to fit in the box. He says, I don't fit into that. And can we actually expand our understanding of what God is like, who Jesus is? That we would accept him as Lord, that we would, we would let him out of the box that we've put him in. We would allow him to be God and recognize that he is God and that we are not. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, let me read it for you here quickly. In Mark chapter 6, and obviously we'll get to this passage eventually, but it, it links into this story with the family. Verse 1 to 6, it says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did, the, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? You see, they're trying to put him, figure out who he is, put him in a box. Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their lack of belief. That it was, it was those that were familiar with him. It was those that grew up in his town. It was his own family that actually had the hardest time unboxing Jesus and taking him for who he was, that he was Lord, that he was the Son of God, that he was Messiah. And I would encourage you, what would it mean for you to unbox Jesus? What would it mean for you to actually make him Lord of your life, to follow him? And what does that mean? How do we do that? It simply means that we need to be with him and we need to follow him. We need to do what he's doing. We need to do what Jesus would do if he were you. I believe that when we're with God, when we worship him, when we spend time communicating with him and listening to his voice, and then when we spend time being obedient to him in the way that he's leading us, we will begin to unbox Jesus. He'll become bigger. He'll become more profound, more glorious, more Lord of our lives than he was before. And So that's my encouragement to you in this time to be with Jesus and to follow Jesus in whatever way that might look for you. And I believe that as we do that, we will unbox him and he will become even greater in our lives and we'll become even more like him as we worship him and follow him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for technology. We thank you that you are uh, bigger, that you are better, that you are uh, present in each room, in each place, that every person who is listening to this, you, you are right there beside them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them. I pray that we would learn to be with you at a time right now where we are being, wherever we are. We are we are less busy than we have been. And I pray, God, that we would be with you, that we would be intentional, that we would worship you, that we would devote time to you, that we would listen for your voice. And Lord, not only that, that we would do the things you've called us to do, that you would give us creativity and imagination on what it might mean uh, to bring your kingdom to earth right now at a time in history when we desperately need your kingdom to come. Jesus, we thank you that as we're with you, as we follow you, that you transform us to be more like you we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.